We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Ross Feingold. Good evening. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by equally regular commentator Michael Smith. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing lawmakers agreeing to pass a constitutional bill to lower the voting age but failing to agree on when to hold a referendum to actually enact said bill. The National Development Council's announcement of the government's roadmap to achieve net zero emissions by 2050, calls for the government to donate unused coronavirus coronavirus vaccines to other countries, a Chinese unification propaganda video and a rather pointed newspaper advert making the headlines, and the central bank warning of crypto asset investment fraud involving BTMs. But we'll begin with lawmakers voting 109 to 0 to pass a constitutional amendment to lower the voting age from 20 to 18. The proposed bill was put to a vote at the legislative floor a week ago today in the afternoon, as dozens of high school students and NGO representatives were rallying outside the legislative UN to call on lawmakers to back the amendment. The amendment must now be voted on in a national referendum to pass the but ballot half of all of Taiwan's 9.65 million eligible voters must support it before it can be put into effect. Now, while lawmakers were more than happy to rally around the voting age cause and showed cross-part solidarity in passing the bill in the chamber, the agreement didn't last very long, as a whole new can of bickering worms was opened up when they had to discuss when the referendum should take place. Now, Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun and the DPP on Monday called for the ballot to be held in conjunction with the November 26th local elections and the DPP said the ballot on lowering the voting age is a constitutional referendum and as such a higher threshold than a general referendum is needed meaning it would result in more people heading to the polling stations if it was held alongside the local elections and Premier Su Jung Chung told reporters that same day that he believes that if the referendum is held in tandem with the local elections it would have more of a chance of passing however the KMT is insisting that it should not be held on that day accusing the DPP of backtracking on its position in last December's referendums when voters were asked to say whether referendums should or shouldn't be held in tandem with elections. Now, the Premier for the remainder of this week was busy telling people that the Central Election Commission will have the final say on when the ballot is held and that decision must be respected. So, Ross, the lawmakers agreed on one thing, then five minutes later, or 24 hours later, they decided to actually disagree on the thing that could bring it to law. Well, disappointment all around. Uh, This is the most non-controversial uh, constitutional amendment that uh, the majority, the DPP, the ruling party, could have selected, uh, keeping in mind they have a, a comfortable majority in the legislative UN, they control the executive branch. Uh, they are driving this process, and after six years in governance, this is all they came up with. I mean, clearly, they want to avoid the more con- any more controversial issues in, in the constitutional amendment process. Uh, maybe in the near term, they'll reopen this and they'll add something else to, to the agenda uh, for amendment. Uh, but at least as of now, it looks like they they just wanted to say that they did something by, by way of constitutional amendment, avoid anything controversial because uh, the U.S. might have an opinion or China might have an opinion. 
and they don't want to be seen as the troublemaker in the Taiwan Strait or one of those other uh, overused uh, descriptions. Uh, so they picked this one, which, as you indicated, because of the 109 to zero vote, pretty much everyone supports. I mean, maybe there are some conservative members of the public who think 18 and 19-year-olds are too immature to vote, but uh, hopefully this will pass whenever it does come to a vote. Uh this does come across as uh, late. Again, they, they had six years to come up with something else. It also comes across as something to uh, energize young voter support for the DPP because the DPP, as the ruling party, will say, we delivered this. And uh, that's why young, you know, we, we, we care about younger people. And I think younger people, uh, 18, 19, 20-year-olds or people in their 20s, they'll be partial to that argument. So it will certainly reinforce younger voter support for the DPP, especially if the other political parties aren't offering anything attractive to younger voters anyway. But I'm also disappointed in, in the reaction uh, from the Gomindang uh, as to the date. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of hypocrisy on the part of the, the DPP by saying, oh, this time we should have it in tandem. And frankly, I, I'm disappointed in the argument from the DPP that uh, the the justification for having it in tandem is the higher threshold for a constitutional amendment to pass than for a referendum to pass, because that should not have been the driver or the motivation for the date that you have the vote. They're saying, like, oh, we should separate them because it's actually not that important how many people show up. Like, what kind of argument is that? However, the, the Gobi Nag, they should stick to their original position. Instead of saying, don't have the vote in tandem, they should stick on their original position and say, hell yes, damn right, we should have the vote in tandem. Yes, uh, some, some interesting things here. So I think Ross and I um, sort of uh, discussed this the last time we, we were talking about the, the voting age, and the KMT is in an uh, unenviable, unenviable position of being kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't. It was, it was clear that they were all going to vote for this amendment, because if they didn't, then it would have been a mockery of their whole uh, youth campaign, which is sometimes rather cringeworthy, uh, outreach programs that they're trying to get across, but it also points to uh, the possibility of even more horrific defeats in the future uh, elections. So if you look at the age structure of Taiwan, the most recent stats that I can find is that 15 to 24-year-olds make up about 11.6% of the population, so that's about uh, 1.4 million men and about 1.3-something uh, million females. So, of course, the 15 and 16 and 17-year-olds don't count, but they are the ones who are will be thinking about it and moving towards that uh, uh, that the 18 uh, golden age. So, um, the youth, if you talk to them, any of them, uh, who, who, no matter what party they support, they are well... There's, I haven't met one young person who says that they don't think voting is a good idea for 18-year-olds. They believe that uh, if you have other rights, everything from uh, being able to get a driver's license to drink alcohol, then you should be able to vote. And uh, once this goes through, um, I'm assuming that uh, probably I don't. I'm not optimistic necessarily about it uh, being able to. Uh, uh, get done as quickly as, as some think, but by the next, say, presidential election, uh, I'm looking at uh, the, the potential possibility of the KMT losing another couple million votes, possibly. So, uh, 
difficult all around for that party. I wouldn't want to be in their place, just put it that way. And of course, Ross, a KMT official who was unnamed, was quoted by the local media as saying that the public doesn't care about the voting age being lowered. That's also an interesting topic because uh, it's generated a lot of discussion, as I alluded to earlier. There there are commentators uh, or media articles uh, uh, stating that there there are a lot of people in in the society who might still vote against it. Uh, How much ultimately will vote against it? I don't know. Uh, this also comes amid the discussion, and, and, and Michael alluded to this, uh, uh, other rights uh, that, that people who are 18 have, such as a driver's license or drinking alcohol. Uh, and we, we should take this opportunity to remind people not to combine the two. Uh, uh. But uh, uh, it's not just rights, it's obligations. And one that's been in the news so much lately is the possibility of additional military service, although uh, how long that will be and what age people will be obligated to do that. Is, is another topic, uh, but but uh, if, if you're you're telling young people that you're you're mature enough to do this, or if society as a whole is saying uh, you know you're mature enough to carry a weapon, uh, I, I think whatever societal opposition, this group of people out there who might be more conservative, I, I would think by the time the vote comes around that uh, th- this would pass. I- I'd be very surprised if this doesn't pass. And if it were not to pass, then uh, you know, that would be the fault of, again, the governing party for not uh, doing a good job uh, getting the public to vote for a position that the ruling party supports. I mean, we, whether or not this passes does not depend on the Kuomintang or, or the uh, Taiwan People's Party or, or the New Power Party motivating voters to come out and vote for this uh, constitutional amendment referendum. It, it, it really is up to the, the ruling party to uh, make sure that people come out and, and vote for it since they, they do support this. I would likewise be absolutely shocked if it didn't pass when it comes to a vote. The median age of uh, Taiwanese people is somewhere, for males, somewhere around 42, and for females also somewhere around that age. So we're, we're talking about uh, uh, the majority of adults who are are under enough pressure from either their children or their grandchildren or whatever. I have a a 13-year-old daughter, and she strongly believes that 18-year-olds should be allowed to vote. And I just cannot imagine, even if a couple of these uh, older uh, conservative people do have their opinions and they're blabbing about them on television, it's, it's... the majority is going to pass this. It's, it's, it's kind of a done deal. And, of course, Ross Michael earlier mentioned the KMT pushing for the youth vote and then some of their members supposedly denying the youth vote, theoretically. Oh, again, as I said, I'm kind of disappointed in, in how uh, how Julie Lun immediately came out and, and, and uh, criticised the potential for, for having it, the vote in tandem with the local election later this year. Again, he should just stick to his position and say, we were right. Glad to see that the DPP is is agreeing with us that the vote should be held in tandem. They're a bunch of hypocrites, uh, but glad to see at least uh, the, the, on this one, they agree that we were correct. And oh, by the way, that's why you should vote for us, because we actually are correct on matters of public policy. It, it would be, uh, I think, more effective if he made that argument. Of course, he doesn't take my advice uh, <laughs> than, 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 to, than to say, like, like, like to immediately... 
you know, start trying to stop the process. Now, now, maybe that's the wrong description. He's not trying to stop the process. But he is saying don't hold the vote. Vote shouldn't be held in tandem. Well, then when do you want to have the vote? It was your position to have these votes in tandem. And if the other side are hypocrites, you don't improve your own position or your own standing with the public by doubling down uh, on, on, on the you know, two wrongs make a right uh, position. You can argue that a constitutional amendment is a more serious vote than perhaps a policy on wind turbines or something. But yeah, in general, uh, your Ross's uh, commentary on, on the hypocrisy on both sides uh, stands strong. Well, to, just to follow up quickly on that, uh, that's why I made the point, actually, that you know, we could forget about that, uh, the Guomindang because it really is up to the DPP as the ruling party to explain this. And now that uh, uh, this has passed the legislative UN in March, that really gives them how long? You know, it's it's like seven and a half months to educate the public about this. If we if we could fix the date and stop the silliness about what the date is, uh, that that really is an enormous amount of time uh, to do this. And, and we have to keep in mind, and the reason why I keep focusing on on the the, the DPP as the ruling party's role in in making sure this now gets passed, enough people come out to vote vote for it is. They, they did so well with the referendums, right, from an organizational perspective. Yeah. The, the number of uh, 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 town halls, as we call them in English, that they held uh, around uh, Taiwan or Xuanminghui, as we call them in Mandarin, uh, and, and the number of uh, party personalities they motivated or, or empowered to go all over Taiwan, legislators, city councilors. I attended some of those events, and some of them were small, some of them were large, but but, but it, it really, really worked. You know, Guomindang could say that, that the, the DPP uh, you know, use some scare tactics and false talking points, whatever. That's a separate conversation. But the DPP is very good at this when they want to be. So we could put aside Mr. Jew's criticisms, and now it's really up to the DPP to make sure this gets passed. Moving on now, and the National Development Council on Wednesday unveiled the government's roadmap for Taiwan to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. According to the council, the plan will be carried out through the development of an economy that either emits no greenhouse gases or offsets its emissions. Now, according to Council Minister Gong Ming Shin, the government is aiming to increase the share of renewables in electricity supply to between 60 and 70 percent by 2050 from the current single digit level. And Deputy Economics Minister Lin Chuan Nung said the government will make its best efforts to push for the development of renewables and work to significantly boost the share of alternative energy such as solar and wind power. Now the roadmap for zero emissions seeks to achieve net zero emissions with a goal of an electricity mix of 60 to 70 percent renewables between 9 and 12 percent hydrogen energy and a 1 percent hydropower mix. Now the NDC minister also this week announced as part of the plan that the government plans to phase out gas-powered vehicles with a goal of ending sales of new gas powered passenger cars and scooters by 2040 as part of its roadmap well to achieve net zero emissions. Under the proposal, the government aims to increase the market share of new electric passenger cars, which are designed to seat no more than nine people, to 30% by 2030 and 60% by 2035, while at the same time the share of new electric scooters is expected to reach 35% by 2030 and 70% by 2035. Now, according to Gong Ming Shin, it's hoped that by 2040 all new passenger cars and scooters will be powered by electric 
electricity or hydrogen. And he says the government will not introduce a blanket ban on the sale of gas-powered vehicles, but will instead roll out subsidies for the purchase of electric vehicles and invest heavily in charging infrastructure. Now, the government says it plans to invest some 900 billion NT from this year through 2030 to meet its net-zero emissions 2050 target. So, Michael, a lot to digest there with figures and numbers, but there you go. The roadmap to net-zero emissions is now being unveiled. Right, so we might want to define what we're actually talking about. Net-zero emissions is we are still putting out carbon, but uh, the amount that we're putting out is offset by the amount that we're absorbing. So it's not as if we are completely carbon neutral or, or any of these things. There are actually only two countries in the world that are carbon neutral or actually the carbon, uh, what would be the, the word, uh, um, they're, they're going in the opposite direction where they're absorbing more. Those two countries are Suriname and Bhutan. So one of them, the, the first one, is the smallest independent republic in South America and uh, is basically a large rainforest. And then Bhutan is a mountainous, uh, landlocked kingdom in, the, in between uh, India and uh, China, right? So everywhere else in the world has put into place pledges And we're talking about the European Union, Japan, Korea, and 110 other countries. They've all pledged carbon neutrality by 2050. China says it will do so before 2060. But there's a huge difference between a pledge and then putting it into law. Uh, The countries that have put it into law are, you can count on uh, one hand or perhaps one and a half hands. And uh, that is is a big difference between just a a goal. On the plus side, um, I think the the e-scooter proposal and the uh, 2040 uh, target date for some of this electronic, uh, sorry, switching over to electric cars, that is possibly going to uh, be achievable. We are seeing uh, down here in the south, which is an exceptionally scooter-friendly area of Taiwan, we're seeing e-scooter sales surge like crazy. Um, Then there's also these small little like hybrid vehicle scooter things. The government recently decided to uh, demand uh, that you put a license plate on that and get insurance for those, so we'll have to see how the sales of those continue afterwards. But it's doing very well. Um, the thing that I'm uh, interested in when I read all about this is um, the power situation. Because yesterday, again, in my neighborhood, the power went off for two hours uh, from 8 o'clock in the evening to about 10 p.m. And it just so happened to be my little tiny neighborhood only. The rest of the city was fine. So, you know, I'm uh, pretty frustrated with these power outages. I'm pretty much ready to start uh, fracking in my flower pots uh, in my front yard or perhaps installing a reactor down in the parking lot or something. But I want the government to deal with these power issues and figure that out. And um, when you tell me that you're going for net zero emissions, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, how are we going to have enough electricity? I know there's a little bit of a difference between the two, but uh, it's, it, it's without electricity, my house is not happy. I have uh, a teenage daughter, another younger daughter, and a wife, and for them, uh, when the air conditioning goes out, it's pretty much uh, close to an apocalypse. And of course, Michael was thinking of writing an angry letter to Ty Power. Oh, definitely. Uh, I think you should uh, address that letter to a higher authority, since it's really the politicians that drive the decision-making, such as the policy that was just announced. Uh, 
did find the the scooter timeline interesting. Uh, uh, I think Taiwan could do faster. Uh, this is a very small island. Uh, it's clearly got the cash and willing to spend it uh, on the infrastructure. Uh, why not accelerate that that timeline to to go all all e on the scooters? Yeah, it would take a lot of infrastructure in in parts of central and southern Taiwan, the, the charging infrastructure. But if there's a will to do it, uh, well, we you know, why why stretch that out over such an ex- extended period of time? Well, there's cost issues, Ross. I don't know if you've ever looked at how much a GoGro or one of these Kimco e-scooters cost, but they are extremely expensive. And even with the, the subsidies, you still have to go in like with a GoGro every couple of months and have it tuned up. And so uh, that, well, I yes, think, but, is but as one I of say, the biggest issues for, right? for me, at least. Yeah, but as I say, but the government has the cash. They're, yeah, clearly, they're okay. clearly willing to spend it by, what was the figure that Gavin cited, 900 uh, billion Taiwan dollars. Yeah, 900 billion NT. Right. So uh, there's a will. I mean, there's a policy-making will. There's also an expenditure will here. It's it's just a question of uh, the velocity of, of, of your will and your, your, your willingness to spend money. Uh, so uh, a, that, to me, that one struck me as something that was was relatively lengthy uh, and and could be done in a faster way. It's, it's just not the same thing as uh, getting people to change the family car. Uh, and also keep in mind the big the big cities, including here in, in Taipei, uh, the public transportation network, uh, the MRT lines continue to be expanded, uh, which should also be a factor in hopefully eliminating uh, the scooters. Uh, uh, this will uh, uh, appeal to most younger voters, I think. So it's it's politically smart. Uh, younger voters are not the ones with the tax bill yet to pay for these things. Uh, and uh, as Michael indicated, uh, younger people could just complain to their parents about the Aircon. <laughs> They're not the ones who are going to write the letter to Thai Power usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, though, Taiwan's uh, exclusion from international organizations might limit the amount of... Uh, uh, you know, global affection that Taiwan gets for this. I mean, it'll have to be on a bilateral level. You know, the, the U.S. or the EU or Canada or, will, will, will give Taiwan a big pat on the back for, for this, depending on who's in office in those countries. If it's, a, if it's a left of center government, then they'll love Taiwan for this. If it's a right of center government in these countries, then they're, they're not going to care as much. Uh, but uh, you know, it's too bad Taiwan's excluded, for example, from Last year's COP26, uh, you know, Taiwan misses a chance to proclaim what it's doing uh, at a multilateral forum. Yeah, I mean, Sweden was the first uh, place to put in this 2040 proposal, as far as I remember. And uh, uh, when I talk to, when I go around to high school sometimes and give lectures, and I've uh, spoken to uh, young people about uh, the idea of uh, swapping over completely, they are 100 in agreement. However, they are also under a false uh, illusion that the air quality problems that we have, especially down here in the south, are the result of a preponderance of motorcycles and scooters and trucks, which is not accurate. And so if they think the problem of, you know, fixing our environment and our air and all that is going to be fixed by swapping over to electric, uh, I've had to try to disabuse them of that notion and explain that it's a lot more complicated than that. And then they're like, well, well, you still have to get the energy from somewhere, I try to explain to them. And uh, um, when I bring up uh, nuclear power, they're like, no, 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 that's a terrible idea. I'm like, okay, then you need to burn oil. You need to burn coal. No, 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 that's a terrible idea. Okay. They're like, what a wind and solar. And 
So these are admirable goals to, to get to those places, and we've seen some very decent progress. But the government itself has already said that they're not going to make the 2025 uh, goal uh, even you know, close to, to their first goal. So it, it's, it's a frustrating situation that young people don't understand. And unfortunately, in 2030, they're going to be the people sort of like in charge and, and doing stuff, and uh, they don't understand uh, what's going on. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And this time last year, we were sitting here bemoaning the fact that we were seeing Taiwan's first major domestic coronavirus outbreak, albeit a localised one at the time, but there was a dearth of coronavirus vaccines. Needless to say, the vaccine situation has now changed, and it appears that Taiwan has more vaccine doses than it can use before they expire. Amnesty International's Taiwan office on Tuesday of this week held a press conference in Taipei, urging the government to donate surplus coronavirus vaccine doses to developing countries. The call comes after the Central Epidemic Command Centre announced last week that it would have to destroy some 278,000 unused doses of the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech brands that are now expired, or around 2 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine will expire in May. Amnesty International's Taiwan Office Secretary General Cho Yi Ling said the government should consider making better use of its vaccine stocks by donating them to low-income countries instead of letting them go to waste. Our new power party lawmaker Cho Shen Zhe is calling on the government also to make donations to countries facing vaccine shortages and is stressing that Taiwanese people would welcome such a move as a contribution to the international community. Now, the Epidemic Command Centre's spokesman, Juan Renshang, responded to those calls by saying that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is looking to donate unused AstraZeneca vaccine doses to Taiwan's diplomatic allies. So, Ross, of course, a year ago we were sitting here going, where are the vaccines? Now we have a load of vaccines and they're all going to... Well, a percentage of them is going to waste and, of course, a percentage of them were paid for by, well, the taxpayer's dollar. Well, I've, I've repeatedly called the vaccine acquisition strategy flawed and this continues to... to uh, this. Uh, uh, large number of, of expiring doses continues to demonstrate that. Uh, eight, nine months ago, when Taiwan began to accept uh, donations from the US, Japan, a few smaller donations from Europe, I, I said that uh, given the low number of cases in Taiwan, Taiwan shouldn't accept those donations. They, they should uh, relabel it as a joint donation of uh, Japan and Taiwan and give it to a country more in need. Instead, Taiwan, rather selfishly, I think, accepted those donations instead of uh, waiting for the ones that had purchased to arrive. And they they did not ha- handle the purchasing well. That's why it was delayed. That's why I call this process flawed. Uh, so then Taiwan, you know, the result was too many donated and too many purchased uh, vaccines, along with the purchase of the locally made vaccine. And I encourage the audience to go look at the data. It, it's publicly available. It's published by uh, CDC. Uh, of the 45, 48 million or so vaccines that have been administered in Taiwan, about 15, 16 million each for Pfizer, BNT, Moderna, and ANZ. Uh, sorry, AZ, and uh, o- only about 2 million plus for Medigen. So the government is, is stuck with a lot of unused Medigen vaccines, which it cannot donate because uh, almost no other country has qualified the Medigen vaccine. 
then the the issue with donating the the ones that have uh, nearly universal uh, uh, qualification, such as a- AZ or or uh, BNT or Moderna, is COVAX or other countries are also still in the process of donating. So if you call up a, a needy country and say uh, we could give you 500,000 doses, but they expire in, in a month. But then COVAX or the United States or Japan are calling up that country and saying, we could give you 500,000 or a million doses, and they expire in six months. Then, then of course, the the recipient is going to choose the latter. If you give them uh, a bunch of doses that expire on short notice within a few weeks, then they're really going to have to move their, their logistics uh, Quickly, and they might not have the capacity to do that. So why would they accept uh, vaccines that, that are about to expire? And, and if the public found out in those countries, even though it's perfectly safe, uh, but but if you're a patient or in a hospital or a, a doctor's office, and a doctor or nurse says to you, "I'm giving you a, a vaccine that's going to expire in two weeks, courtesy of Taiwan," who would take that? Come on. Um, this seems like a no-brainer. Uh, if someone's willing to take them and we can donate them, then please do so. Um, I understand what Ross is saying. I get all of his points. Uh, he's as accurate in, in, in his logic. But uh, I'd rather try to donate them than throw them in the trash. And uh, I'll just throw in one little other thing that uh, I'm sadly disappointed that the local one did not uh, progress faster along the track of uh, international uh, acceptance, because I was hoping that perhaps that could be a sort of outreach uh, program for Taiwan, but it didn't happen. So, you know, what are you going to do about that? Make better public policy decisions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? you know, the option the option for Taiwan at the time, and, and there was a competing company that tried to do this, was to be an outsourced manufacturing partner for the bigger players, uh, such as uh, Pfizer, BNT, Moderna, or, or uh, AZ. And, and the government was not supportive of that, right? They went the route of, uh, we're going to be one of the saviors of the planet because we're going to develop our own Taiwan-researched and uh, manufacturing vaccine. That really turned out to be a, a poor public policy decision. It was a bad bet, yes. And of course, Michael, there are more vaccines on the way, of course, because the government two weeks ago announced that it ordered two million Novavax vaccine doses. And of course, more Moderna vaccines are on the way this year. So there's inundated with more vaccines. Well, yeah. And then don't forget that they are talking right now about whether or not they should uh, follow some other country's lead. For example, Israel is uh, giving, what, a fourth shot now to people over 50? And America, I believe, is following in uh, the, 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 the research footsteps of Israel. And then you have other countries that are giving it to uh, children from 5 to 12. And perhaps that will be something that will be uh, approved in Taiwan. It's currently uh, not only junior high school students are able to do so. But, uh, yeah, now that we want to get into a, a discussion about uh, vaccine hesitancy or anything like that right now, but uh, if uh, the, the, the younger children one does get approved, I think we're going to see uh, a, a lot of pushback on that one uh, from parents, but that's a separate issue. And after the humans uh, have had their fourth or their fifth of all ages, we, we could administer any more uh, doses that Taiwan has acquired to the pets. <laughs> <laughs> 
And moving away from vaccines now and to cross-strait issues, Chinese unification propaganda made the news this week. DPP lawmakers on Wednesday demanded the removal of John Pung from the board of the Straits Exchange Foundation. That call came after Pung placed a full-page advertisement in the China Times newspaper early in the week promoting Taiwan's peaceful unification with China. Now, Pung said that he took out the advertisement in his capacity as chairman of AGCMT Creations and it was aimed at letting people know that peaceful unification and peaceful development will shape the best future for people across the Taiwan Strait. But DPP lawmaker Lai Rei Long is charging Peng with carrying out cognitive warfare on behalf of China, while DPP lawmaker Chou Zhuwei said that Peng is unfit to serve on the Straits Exchange Foundation as a board member because he doesn't simply represent Taiwan. Now, Peng's advertisement appeared in the China Times after a Taiwanese-founded production company in China released a video showing the company's owner mixing water from the Yellow River in China with that of the Zhuoshui River here in Taiwan. Now, the owner is seen sitting in front of the Sir Law Bridge in Yunlin County pouring water from the Zhuoshui River into a jar that she claimed had water taken from the Yellow River in it. Now, the woman then tells the camera that the blending of the waters is a sacred ceremony to bring Taiwan's longest river into the Mother River's embrace. And she goes on to say that the ceremony was aimed at promoting integration and understanding across the Taiwan Strait. Needless to say, and no big surprises here, the video sparked some concerns. As, well, China's United Front propagandists were possibly helping fund Taiwanese startups in China with the aim of simply sending out their messages to Taiwan and lawmakers are now calling for an investigation into the companies that have accepted funding from China to do so. However, the Mainland Affairs Council sought to allay concerns by dismissing the need for any over-the-top action to be taken, saying that it's unlikely that people here in Taiwan, and I paraphrase the next bit, will be swallowing the messages behind the videos produced by the Chinese propaganda machine. Michael. <laughs> I'm uh, concerned that mixing those two waters is going to create something like COVID-22 or something. But um, the video itself, uh, for most people, I would agree with the assessment, is hilarious. And uh, I, I don't think many people are going to uh, watch any of these or read any of these propaganda pieces and go, yeah, that's really what we should do. We, we really need to come together as one. That's just not going to happen. So uh, the, the the propaganda side. Now, to, to jump over to the advertisement you you addressed first, um, freedom of speech issues for me come into play here. And although he may sit on certain boards or whatever, as long as it's not a government uh, policy or somehow contravening uh, the way that, that what, what is allowed, a private citizen, in my view, should be allowed to say whatever they want, however stupid it is. So I'm okay with him, you know, wasting his money on a, a, a stupid ad. Um, the propaganda stuff is utterly laughable. I doubt uh, anybody with half a brain is even uh, paying attention, and if they do, they're just giggling. A lot more insidious is the stuff that we saw back during the Hangulu run for president, where there was infiltration into Facebook, and in particular Line in Taiwan, by uh, what appeared to be from Taiwan uh, accounts that were actually traced back to uh, probably... Uh, uh, cyber warrior uh, groups from China that were based either in Hong Kong or Malaysia or other places. I mean, uh, I myself actually uh, was involved in an 
investigation to find one person who was uh, doing a, a group and uh, turned out that uh, yeah he was a, a person in ping dong uh, uh, pretending to to be a uh, anyway it's a long story but the point is that uh, the, these ones are more uh, important than uh, stupid uh, mixing of water videos the other final thing I'll note is that um, there was some commentary that I saw down here over this entire thing where Someone was pointing out that we have something called the Mainland Affairs Office, and they were saying, why do we have a Mainland Affairs Office, and should we drop the entire concept of calling it the Mainland, which is, of course, going to be very controversial. Uh, with regard to the advertisement, uh, you know, it, it's a fact, as, as Michael mentioned, that uh, supporting the 92 consensus or, or opposing the establishment of the Republic of Taiwan, uh, supporting unification at some point in the future, uh, is is not illegal. You know, it's illegal to advocate the violent overthrow of the Taiwan government and the use of force to uh, uh, bring about unification. Uh, but but his position is, is a position that's probably held by uh, I don't know thirty forty percent, which is used as a baseline. Then the number of people who voted for Hong Yu in the last presidential election. Then you'd say that that's a position that about forty percent of, of uh, the voters uh, still support. Uh, so it's just not illegal to advocate for that. It's a little controversial because he is on the board of the Straits Exchange Foundation, uh, which is a. Uh, it's not really private, although it's set up to be a private organization. Uh, uh, but uh, the board of the Straits Exchange Foundation is supposed to represent a cross-section of, of society, and it's long had that kind of cross-section. Now, of course, when uh, one party or the other is in control, they'll, they'll fix up the, you know, the majority of the board might be their own people. Uh, but uh, to the credit of successive governments uh, over the last few decades, uh, diversity of views on the board has been maintained. The people do come from various walks of life, uh, scholars, uh, former politicians, and, and business leaders. Uh, so even while there's a DPP government, uh, there, there's still a diversity of views on the board, and that includes people who don't uh, support Taiwan independence, and they do support the 92 consensus and maybe uh, even have a, a more stronger view about unification as this gentleman does. Uh, so uh, should he be removed from the board because he went so public with his views? I think that that's a valid argument to make? Will the government actually take that step and, and have the board uh, kick him out? Uh, uh, unlikely. Uh, will he be reappointed when his term ends uh, if the DPP is still in power? Probably not. not that might be an easy way to handle it. As far as the, the so-called propaganda video, uh, of course, few people pay attention to this kind of thing. And there's an enormous amount of content online that, that is directed at Taiwan, both during election cycles and outside of election cycles that comes from China, that promotes uh, anti-government views, pro-independence views. And a lot of that content includes Taiwan individuals, uh, whether they're based here or they're based in China. Uh, I, I do think there's a, a an element here of selective uh, 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 anger 
and in this situation, it appears for whatever reason, the Mainland Affairs Council has decided, uh, we'll take the view that no, no one cares about this. But other times or other incidents when such things occur, uh, they seem to have a greater level of, uh, of, of anger. Uh, sometimes it's political or because they're drawing lines between who, whoever made a comment or made a video. Uh, it might be a politician associated with the Guomindang or the new party. So it might be politically expedient to, to get more upset. Uh, the, again, it seems very selective. Though. This time, they're just taking the view. Ah, it's just not a big deal. Maybe because it was mixing water. Well, then we should call up the EPA and uh, you know, the person should be fined, maybe potentially, or investigated for fouling the waterways. Or possibly, or possibly the airlines for letting the woman get on an airplane the, with that, a the, bottle of water. That is a very interesting question. Let's, let's assume that she really did uh, bring it from China. Uh, yes. Uh, how, how did that get past the airport security uh, in, in China? Interesting question. Maybe she drank the water. It would have made more of a point. <laughs> Uh, who would believe her? You know, I mean, yeah. She might as well just stayed in China, right? You could buy bottled water in China that has uh, some some really uh, interesting labels and claims about which parts of China it comes from, from up in the mountain, that kind of thing. And you could just say, "I'm a I'm a Taiwan person sitting in my home in in the mainland, and I'm drinking water uh, from some uh, important river in China. And by putting the water in my body, I'm now unifying the two sides." And she won't mention the diphtheria. Uh, well, uh, thankfully, uh, when she comes back to Taiwan, there's an excellent medical system here. And also a quarantine period for, for her now. And before we go this week, the central bank earlier this week warned on crypto asset fraud. The warning comes amid concern that it's fast becoming one of Taiwan's major investment fraud crimes, with potential victims being asked to buy cryptocurrencies using Bitcoin automated teller machines. Now, the warning came in a detailed report by the bank following its quarterly policymaking meeting two weeks ago. The bank dedicates an entire chapter to describing the development of the risks of Bitcoin automated teller machines, as well as the supervision and management issues concerning its emerging use in international markets. Now, according to the bank, victims have been defrauded while transferring their money to certain accounts when using a BTM to buy e-crypto assets. Now, citing coin ATM radar statistics, the bank says there are 25 BTMs in Taiwan, which is... If you want to know the numbers, the 25th highest in the world. And oh, the irony here, as the BTMs have been allowed to open, despite the government having made no decision yet as to what government agency should actually supervise crypto assets. So, Ross, I mean, first of all, do you buy these crypto assets? Would you buy these crypto assets? And the warning, obviously, a serious warning. Uh, it's increasingly unavoidable uh, in, in a well-designed portfolio to include some crypto assets, whether directly by holding uh, Bitcoin or one of the other uh, uh, cryptocurrencies or investing in the, the ecosystem that, that supports this industry. Uh, that, that, that really is the, the reality. And that's why we see uh, this growth, not, not just in the people who, who invest in it, but, but again, the, the ecosystem that, that supports it. And that would include everything down to uh, the BTM machines. Uh, the, the government here in Taiwan, and to be fair, like governments in many places around the world, has struggled with how to regulate uh, the, the 
the industry? Well, all the starting from offerings, you know, is it is it an IPO? Should it be? Should should the initial coin offering be treated the same way as the initial offering of shares in a company? Uh, all the way to uh, using it as a payment in, in everyday commerce to. Can there be BTMs uh, all over town, just like we have ATMs? So the government here is, uh, unfortunately, uh, because now this issue is, has existed for a sufficient number of years where the government could have made a decision, keeping in mind, we make a lot of hardware here. The society here is, is uh, I don't know the best way to describe it, other than to say, extraordinarily fluent in the use of all sorts of digital platforms, online tools, mobile devices, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we, we, we can only say great things about the ability of, of people in Taiwan to adapt uh, to new technologies. Uh, and uh, uh, Taiwan purports to be a digital society, and uh, we're going to have a, a new digital development ministry soon, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then we have these regulators who are coming across as, as, as somewhat dinosaur in their approach to, to making a decision on this instead of being out in front and taking the lead and, and making Taiwan, a, 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 not just a regional, but it could be, Taiwan could be a global center for good policymaking on these issues. And, and unfortunately, the regulators, whether at the central bank or at the Financial Supervisory Commission, are, are just, I think on this, they're just remiss. And, and they really should be creating a, a better legal regulatory infrastructure uh, for this industry. They'll, they'll get there eventually. And I think a lot of the audience might remember the experience with things like uh, Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and, and how long that took uh, to, to come online and be readily available when it was already widely available in other countries. Uh, and this is somewhat analogous. They'll get there, but it's unnecessarily lengthy and painful. So I think, Michael, what Ross was hinting at there, government agencies shunt, shunt it around and don't want to have anything to do with it because it's too new. Yeah, I think this uh, topic is more in his wheelhouse than mine. But I was uh, doing a little research and noted that there are 18,000 types of cryptocurrency currently available, which uh, equates to 18,000 uh, possible different ways of defrauding people. Now, uh, you were asking him about his portfolio, and uh, I've also dabbled in uh, crypto, uh, not successfully, I might add. But anyway, the point uh, that I'm interested in here is with these machines that are sitting, you know, wherever, next to a 7-Eleven, or it uh, does pose some problems that I can see with people who are already in Taiwan. We have a problem with uh, the grandpa or the grandma who is going down to the bank and the police are doing their best to convince them that uh, this person they've been communicating with from the Red Cross in uh, Syria is not actually what they are. And no, they shouldn't be sending three million NT to them because they talked to them online for a week. You know, we've, we see these stories almost every week on the news. So um, I can see uh, these machines uh, becoming uh, another method for um, gullible people to be bilked out of their funds. So perhaps, if nothing else, we need uh, greater education. We need uh, more people to understand what uh, cryptocurrency is and how risky it is to invest in it. And uh, Maybe these machines should be put in places where they can have one of those uh, people walk up and say, sir, are you sure you want to be doing this? 
Uh, that 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 could be a, a process. Uh, you could just build it into the, uh, the the machine, right? You could put all sorts right. of stickers oh, okay. or, or into the banking <laughs> all over. I mean, if you go to the yeah, anyone who's going to the ATM in, in Taiwan and reads Mandarin, and sometimes the signage is in, in other languages as well, right? You, you get all sorts of stickers uh, all over the machine or inside the the ATM cubicle about uh, of you know, being careful of scams and people standing behind you and don't empty out your bank account and hand the money to everyone, uh, you know. A stranger who comes up to you with a story, uh, so you know, we can't overregulate this. But again, unfortunately, that's kind of seems to be where the regulators are at the moment, or, or just don't make any decision, and, and hence it, it, it exists in a illegal or, or gray area uh, because the regulators are are conservative. Again, I'm still confident they'll get there. Uh, it'll be slow and painful, but they'll get there. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I'm joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.